This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. And coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia, this is Franchise Today. I'm Stan Friedman, hoping that you all had a very safe and happy Thanksgiving holiday. Today is Wednesday, December 4th, and we're in the stretch as this year winds down and 2020 comes knocking at our doors. We've got a few weeks left, though, until then, and that means a few more episodes of Franchise Today ahead this year. Right now, we've got some business to attend to in the front of the house, which is brought to you today by Transitive, where Christian Pillett and his team provide franchisors and franchisees with cutting-edge high-tech solutions, enabling them to identify their most valued customers and then simply and easily empower them to drive laser-sharp conversational marketing messages directly to those targets. So, leading off the front of the house today, I'd like to reflect on the first in my series of special editions of the podcast that'll be focusing on franchise philanthropy. Very appropriately, I began this series the week before last, just ahead of Thanksgiving, when I was joined by Jimmy John's founder, Jimmy John Leoto. For all the chatter about Jimmy John, who knew what a benevolent guide this was before this interview? And he doesn't just give to well-known charities and causes, but Jimmy John has for years taken really good care of many that are in his personal orbit. In fact, 14 of 17 executives that began with him making and delivering sandwiches in the shops are themselves now millionaires. But more compelling still are the stories he tells about the kids he's helped personally over the years. These stories are nothing less than amazing, so please be sure to download this episode and stay tuned for future information about the next featured episode on Franchising's Philanthropists. I'll be bringing that information to you in the weeks ahead. Also, in today's front of the house, we've got birthdays to catch up on from weeks past as well as this week. So let's wish many happy returns today to Nick Powells, Brandon Campbell, Holly Elmore, Tioka Jackson, Pam Curry, Jennifer Biggings, Nick Friedman, Rory O'Dwyer, Wyne Livingston, Flo Shell, David Jones, Tim Hickey, Richard Lavelle, Marsha Mead, Brandon Fish, Dick Munson, Gary Thomas, Carolyn Jane Spindell, Dwayne Hurd, John Eucolito, Michael Anthony, Tom Scalise, Kyle Heverly, Brent Alford, Kevin Lovejoy, Michael Santa Maria, Daryl Suderman, Michael Side, Ron Feldman, Todd Recknagel, Frank Caparino, Court Williams, and Karen Young. A long list, but that's a couple of makeups in there, so uh, thanks for indulging and many happy returns to one and all. When we return from a quick break, I'm going to be joined this week by Alex Bingham, President and CEO of The Little Jim. While Little Jim's programs have been around since 1976, they've come an awfully long way since those early days. Today, with more than 400 locations in the U.S. and 33 countries around the world, they offer programs for various age levels, beginning as young as four months and going all the way up to 12-year-olds. These include parent and child, developmental gymnastics, karate, sports skill development, and more. Little Gym locations are also places to host birthday parties, summer camps, creative crafts, adventures, and parents' survival nights. We're going to take a quick break now, but I'll be right back with Alex Bingham, President and CEO of the Little Gym, to talk about all of that and more. 
Franchise Today. We'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, Stan Friedman here with a word about our newest sponsor. I'm talking about Transitive, an amazing marketing platform that actually delivers what others can only imagine. Accurate, dependable results that are second to none. All right, without getting too deep into the weeds, Transitive connects franchisees' customer data from all sources, providing high-octane fuel for their marketing engines. They then deploy machine learning. Yes, artificial intelligence, which identifies various customer traits and habits, attributes that would otherwise likely go unnoticed, and it segments these customers into groups. This is important because, as we know, not all customers provide your franchisees with equal dollar value. But wouldn't it be great if they could easily identify who's who? Well, that's exactly what Transitive does. And what's more, it then accurately drives the appropriate offers to each of those customer groups, delivering specific personalized messages to each of the group's customers. Just like that, your franchisees are engaged in laser-focused target marketing, delivering them much more bang for the buck. You've got to see it to believe it. So what are you waiting for? Order up a demo today and tell them I sent you. Find them online at www.transitive.io. That's www.transitive.io. My guest today is Alex Bingham, president and CEO of The Little Gym. And we're going to open with a little fun today. So first of all, Alex, welcome to Franchise Today. Thanks so much, Dan. I really appreciate you having me today. So Alex, each weekly guest interview usually starts the same way, with my guest telling us how franchising found them. Because none of us have a story quite like yours, though. It's going to be a little more fun to hear yours. Unless you're born into the business, franchising is not something that we find. It finds us. In your case, it's neither of those. There's a third leg to the step stool. Alex, <laughs> you got to tell the story about how an executive that's in his, what, early 40s? Yeah, 42. Uh, 42-year-old executive began with the Little Gym just under 20 years ago. In fact, you're going to have an anniversary as president and CEO here in about a month, aren't you? Yeah. Um, so... 42 years old, been with the company for 20 years, and yet you've got hands-on history with Little Jim that dates back more than 20 plus years beyond that. What's the story, Alex? Tell us the yeah. story. All right. Well, thanks, Dan. Yeah, I guess I've heard you say a number of times on podcasts and just in person, you know, you franchising finds us. I've always loved that. And that's 100% true of me. I, I definitely was not born into it. And so if you'll allow me, I'll take I'll take you on a little bit of a journey here to tell you a little bit about my story. Which was, Please do. When I was growing up, my dad was involved in business and, and he was actually in the broadcasting business for a vast majority of my childhood. And I started getting business lessons from him at a, at a really early age. He would he'd come home and and while he kind of got unwound from work, he'd debrief me on his day. And so from, from the age of like six or seven years old, I was getting kind of lessons in business just just by osmosis, just because he was telling me about how his day was and everything. And so we, I kind of had an every evening ritual of him kind of downloading his day. And I think it was his kind of his way of unwinding. It was my way to kind of understand more about what he did and everything, because he always seemed like he was having so much fun doing what he was doing. He started in sales and in radio and worked his way up through management, general management, and ultimately ownership of radio stations, television stations, and, and whatnot. And and it just it the, there seemed like there was there was so much energy and so much joy and what he was doing and what his what his colleagues were doing and everything. And so I always thought, you know, it'd be 
be it'd be fun to work with my dad someday. It'd be fun to be in the broadcasting industry. And then in the mid in the early '90s, the the government decided to change their policy on the way that the radio stations were owned, and it, it basically led to more monopolistic behavior and sort of thing. And so he got out of it. it really kind of squelched a lot of the entrepreneurship that came with being in broadcasting. And so he got out of that, and he actually got into franchising. He got in with the Little Jim around that time, and that was right when the Little Jim started franchising, right in 1992, 93. And and I will tell you that initially my reaction was I don't want anything to do with that. This is this seems to me like they're not having any fun. This is this is nothing like what he was experiencing in broadcasting. And so I thought, well, it would have been really fun to work with my dad. It's not going to happen now anymore if this is going to be what his career is going to be. And so um, I went off to college with with the idea of maybe getting into broadcasting at some point, which led me to a history degree, which has absolutely nothing to do with broadcasting. But I was at a small liberal arts school and ended up looking for something in sports broadcasting and, and ended up with a job at ESPN back in Bristol, Connecticut, which is a great job and a lot of fun. But I quickly realized it was not a great career path for me. Around that time, the little Jim was having uh, was starting to have some more success and was really kind of emerging from some pretty challenging kids in their history. And so at that point, I could tell my dad was starting to have more fun doing what he was doing. And that led me to start to think about what would it be like to, to work for the Little Jim. And I think this is probably what you were referring to, Stan, because my dad's experience with the Little Jim was not my first exposure. That's, where I, that's where I was going. That's, that's, what I, that's where I figured you were going. Um, because my, my story with the Little Jim, despite the fact that I've been with the company now for, for 18 and a half years in my, in my current career and has have been in several different roles, starting with being a general manager of a corporate-owned store that, that we don't even have. We don't even have corporate-owned stores anymore, but working my way up through the service side of the business, also being a franchisee along the way, and ultimately becoming president and CEO almost two years ago. I was also a student at the original The Little Gym from age two to age five. It was founded outside of the Seattle area where I was born and raised. And before, while well, the concept was started being franchised in 1992, um, it was actually founded in 1976 as a concept and just operated as one and then ultimately two gyms in the, in the Seattle area that had been started by our founder, Robin West. And so not long after it was founded, I started as a student, my mom, one of the first moms telling all the other moms about how great the little gym was. And so my dad's first exposure to the little gym was as a really cool program for his first son, me, and then ultimately his second son, my little brother, Brett. And fast forward a few years, and as the concept started to be franchised, we had maintained a friendship with the guy who was the founder because we'd been such loyal customers for so long. And, and in fact, it was actually, the, you may not know this part of the story, Stan, but it was actually my mom that introduced the founder of the Little Jim, Robin West, and the gentleman who originally founded Sylvan Learning Centers, Barry Fowler, who was a close family friend of my parents as well, introduced the two of them. And that was how the Little Jim began franchising, was actually through an introduction my mom made. And then they asked my dad to come along and be a part of the company. Isn't that amazing? So the yeah. small world, you thread the needle even smaller than I thought. Yeah. And and we'll save the conversation for another day. But, you know, you and your dad and I had parallel paths in that I had about 18 years with broadcast, mostly radio, in the years preceding my entry into franchising, which would take me back to 1988. So wow. not that far back in terms of timelines. And for reasons similar, I saw the changes where small community broadcast stations that were getting gobbled up by Cox and by big corporate entities, you know, radio, the FCC laws, you're right, it all changed. You can own as many licenses as you had the depth in your wallet to afford in any given market. Right. So the business was great. It when it was great, but it changed. So I can see where kids that grow up saying, I'm going to be a baseball player, or I'm going to be a football player, or I'm going to be an astronaut. But at two, three, four, five years old, when you were at Little Jim, you had no idea, did you? <laughs> I, did, I, I, I certainly, it wasn't even a franchise at the time, even if I wanted it to be, but but saying I, I wanted to grow up and be franchising, or I wanted to grow up and be part of the Little Jim was, was not uh, not something that I expected. In fact, candidly, Stan, until it was only a, just a few years, probably eight, eight years ago or so, it's probably been with the company for 10 plus years, when I finally realized 
holy cow, this is actually going to be a career for me. I always thought, you know, hey, you know, we'll find something else or, we'll, you know, this is kind of a great place to be for now. And then I realized, you know what, this is, no, this is, this is life for me. This is something I, I just kind of looked in the mirror one day and went, wow, I, I'm super passionate about what it is we're doing here. I'm not looking for anything else ever. So let's talk about the concept from the perspective of the value prop to the consumer. I mean, when Robin West started, it was phys ed, right? He took his psychology, his physical education and motor development degrees and, and created a career with Little Jim. But the focus moved on from just phys ed and, and evolved and morphed into a lot more than that. Let's talk a little bit about what the brand does and then how consumers find that value proposition so unique to their loyalty to the brand of the Little sure, Jim. Sure, yeah. So I, one of the things about Robin was born and raised in the in South Africa. And he was brought up during apartheid and everything and saw really a society that that did not value or honor children and kind of their growth and their self-esteem. And that led him to to leave South Africa and ultimately first first went to Canada um, to complete his schooling and then settled in the in the Pacific Northwest in the Seattle area, wanting to offer kids a different experience than he'd had growing up. He'd been a gymnast growing up and so he and he was passionate about gymnastics and knew the impact that gymnastics could have as really a foundational kind of physical learning tool. He started out in the public school sector and pretty quickly realized that while that was better than kind of what he'd been exposed to as a child, it still didn't offer him the same satisfaction and the gratification didn't accomplish the objectives that he really had to try to help kids learn those physical skills, but also really grow in terms of self-confidence and self-esteem. And so really the concept that he created was a place where kids could go and learn the same physical skills that they could get, and really those foundational physical skills, not so much gymnastics specifically, or at least not for the sake of the gymnastic skills. As an example, having been a three-year veteran as a child myself, I never got to a point where I could do a, any sort of worthwhile wheel or handstand or anything. I can, I can do a decent forward roll still to this day, but I will tell you that gymnastics were never a strength of mine. But what it did do was offer me and does offer all other kids a foundational kind of motor skill development program where you're learning balance and agility and strength and coordination. I went on to be an athlete in, in high school and in college. And, and I know that the little gym provided a foundation for that for me. And, and it also, it, it then also clearly had an impact from a self-confidence and self-esteem perspective and really helping kids in that way. We've been able to stay really true to Robin's vision for what he wanted to create. And we just continue to kind of add and, and, and evolve it to really be to the point now where we talk about it as three-dimensional learning. It's physical skills and it's kind of social and emotional skills. And then it's cognitive skills, mental and intellectual growth for kids too. And, and is really tied into the, the way that we present our program and everything as well. And so that that's ultimately kind of the unique value proposition that we present to consumers is that you really get the best of all worlds. You get a foundation enrichment program for kids, really developmental for any age, and also the self-esteem and self-confidence that comes with being non-competitive and really encouraging kids to grow at their own speed without judgment or without comparison. It's, you know, one of the things that we that we battle a little bit is, well, there's competitive and that whole side of things where kids can be made to feel inadequate. And then, then we have the other side of it where kids are just given kind of participation medals, which is a, a different than what we do also, which is there, you know, there's a lot of backlash out there about that approach. And really ours is, is designed to help kids. But one thing Robin has always said is, is you don't have to be the best. You just have to try your best. And that's really what we do encourage a lot of effort. It's not just enough to show up. You really got to try. You got you to put in your best effort. And then you should always feel good about what it is that you put in. And as long as you're putting that in and you're having fun, 
the kids are going to learn. And that's for us, we, we really want to be the place that people start before they go anywhere else because we believe that our program sets kids up for success no matter what they will go on to do. And I was going to ask you about that, the competitive versus the participation uh, and cases are made and compelling cases are made for each. And I don't think that it's an either or. I think situationally, it, it's determined, I guess, on where you are and what the event is and what you're participating in. I don't think, though, that it's bad to say that kids are taught competition as well as the value that you're sharing, which is do the best you can and be your best self and be the best you can be, whether that's win, lose, or draw, I guess. I don't think we can debate that here today as to which is right or if, <laughs> if there even is a right. But I think, too, that when you have a program that has the kind of participation that starts at, what, four months old and goes all the way up to 12 years old, how do you make that work? I can't imagine kids from, you know, those age spans that aren't getting in each other's way or or maybe are they in rooms at five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds grouped together? Or yeah. are there, or there sec- sections of what you do that go across age barrier? Yeah, no, actually, you know, our, our programs are really designed to be developmentally appropriate for each of the kids. And so so in that way, they are sectioned off by age. We have one of the things that's kind of, that's different about our program versus some of the usually more local kind of bigger gymnastic centers and things like that, are that there's only one class going on at any given time in our gym space. And so when, when you're looking at that, it's... We have parent-child classes from four months to three years old. Those are divided into four different age groups, four to 10 months, into 18 months, 19 months to two and a half years, and then two and a half to three years old. And then same thing, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, all in their own classes. And then starting at age six, we get into grade school gymnastics, and that's, that, that's where kids can be in the same class, even from six to 12 Although typically not a ton of huge age band there, um, but that's we're teaching different skills that are really designed to be developmentally appropriate. We've developed um, lesson plans that are really comprehensive from the first minute of class till till the last minute of the class for every one of those different age groups, different um, activities, different themes every week with sometimes even a little bit of different equipment orientation and things like that within the facility. So it really is a, a fully, a really holistic um, and developmentally, appro- developmentally appropriate experience for each kid each time they come to the gym. I've got to believe, too, for your franchisees that a concept like yours that starts from four months and goes to age 12 has a good bit of stickiness to it in terms of building long-term relationships with families that once you've got them, they stay with you, I would guess. Yeah, if, if you're doing things right, if you're executing it the right way, that's that's the design of it, honestly. is it Certainly, that's been my model personally, as, as we as we shared. And ultimately, you know, that's that's the way that we've um, designed it. And, and the way that when it's when it's functioning the right way, that's the way it functions. And that's really, that's that's why we invest so much in the curriculum and the training side of things is to make sure that we're delivering the program, not just that our franchisees can get for customers to enroll for a long period of time, but really so that we can have the impact on the kids of the world that we're looking to have. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the franchise opportunities as we move along. But what I would love for you to do is for the benefit of the audience who comes every week looking for nuggets from those who have already achieved some milestones that the listeners perhaps haven't hit yet. You're just north of 400 stores right about now. Is that correct? Yeah, we're, we're at 432 in the year in the U.S. and 33 other countries around the world. So we're going to come back and talk about the development side, but let's talk about what it took to get to 400 and some thoughts and things that you might want to share with the audience about lessons 
learned along the way, maybe some things that you would love to have known sooner and done more of, and maybe too, some things that you'd say to the audience, wish that I caught on to this one a little sooner. I'll never do that again. Yeah. No, I, I think we all have things. I think that when we look back on it, we go, well, geez, I wish that we had handled this differently or I wish we'd gone a, a different route. And I think one thing that we've always been very candid about that we we always tell even prospective franchisees as we go through the process is any, or I should say, I shouldn't say any, but at least most franchises, if they're being honest with you, would tell you they, they we, we've made just about every mistake there is in the book. It's been through passion and effort that we've been able to to kind of withstand a lot of those challenges along the way. Not not from a legal perspective, of course, but really more just from a learning about franchising and who, who it is that you want to be a part of your franchise network. And I know we'll get into the development side later, but then th- that how that really trickles down to how your concept gets translated to customers and really how that plays out from a brand perspective. And I think for us, some of the different lessons that really specifically, I think one thing that we do well, I guess I would, would, I would say is we have such a strong purpose to our brand. Really, it ultimately, I think I've heard, probably heard me mention it a couple of times so far, really all about helping the, the children of the world be more successful. And we, we believe all the way to the depth of our soul that, that that is what our program does. We are helping the children of the world be more successful. Being able to stay focused on that and help our franchisees focus on that really be aligned on that is something that has been really positive for us. It allows us to really pour all of our passion into one direction because the more kids that we're able to get enrolled in our programs, the more the greater impact we're having on the world. The more kids we have enrolled, of course, the more successful our franchisees are. And the more successful our franchisees are, the more successful we are. And so I think being able to really prioritize it from that perspective, um, I think that's really, really worked in our favor. And that's really helped us continue to grow and expand. I think that's what attracts people to our brand, both as a consumer and and as franchisees. Um, when I look back on things that I that I wish there, there's, we don't have enough time in the show for me to tell you things that I wish <laughs> we'd done differently along the way. But but one thing that I think that has been a double-edged sword for us, I guess, is the best way to say it, is we've we've allowed the franchisees, because they are all entrepreneurs and and our our company as as I think most franchising companies started as entrepreneurial concepts as well. We've we've allowed for a level of entrepreneurship in our, our facilities that I think has really served us well over time. But as you look to scale and accel- re, kind of reaccelerate growth for ourselves. Um, it presents challenges too, from a consistency perspective, and from really trying to make sure that there's a, there's alignment on the direction that the brand is going. And so I think we've been able to, over time, always prioritize forging really strong relationships with franchisees and our network. And I think we do that just about as well as any franchising company out there. I'm very very proud of that for our company, and I think that we've relied heavily on that to try to continue to create that alignment with with our franchisees as we've continued to grow. But that's that's always an ongoing challenge. I think is to kind of strike that balance between between flexibility and localization of the business and, and the business model with some level of consistency and uniformity across brands, really both throughout the, the U.S. And, and then around the world as well. I read something that I picked up in prep for today that I'm going to kind of read to you and hope you remember it. It's a quote from you that said, as you move up in an organization and transition from managing a department or a couple of departments to eventually leading a large portion of the company, you recognize that everything you say is not only heard, but it has an impact for better or for worse. And this came from a piece about five things that you wish someone told you before you became the COO. And yeah. I thought I thought this was great. And I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind some, summarizing some of these, because this is exactly the kind of thing that I think the audience benefits from hearing from somebody who's got 20 years with a brand and who's been instrumental in taking it north of 400 units. And some things like these that were talked about in this piece 
Sure. Perhaps things that people don't think about. Yeah, I think for me, I, I, do, I do remember saying that, and and I I believe I believe it is just as strongly, if not more strongly, today as I did when I said it. Which which is really just just from the perspective of, and especially having grown up in management in a in this franchising company, and really without the benefit of a of a tremendous amount of of outside management experience. One thing that is as you move up when when you have a smaller role in the company, sometimes you feel like you're not particularly hurt. And as you grow up in the organization, what you realize is that whether or not that was true, I think typically it's not as true as people may feel in the moment, but whether or not that was actually true, if you've found your way into some sort of leadership position, you need to recognize that not only are you being heard, that's much less at the management level, but much more at at the level of the kind of the, the rest of the company as a whole. You're, you're being heard consistently and not only are you being heard, but those words, those actions are being interpreted. You better be aware of that and the impact that, that has on people. Um, because it doesn't just impact the direction of the company, it impacts your ability to lead, your ability to communicate clearly, and, and really the respect and credibility that you can command from team members, from franchisees, and, and everybody else. And ultimately, you hope that that's not a lesson that people have to learn the hard way. That's really why why I said it, because I, I hope that that's something that people can take away from it, that they can have some self-reflection and, and kind of recognize that what they're saying and listen to it through the, the eyes and ears of team members that they're communicating with, rather than just their own eyes and ears. And it kind of reaches a point in this, I guess, life cycle of time where you go from being an executive in a department where you don't think your voice is heard to finding yourself as the leader of an organization where now you take on the burdens of, of caring about people and being concerned about the people who are in your employ and the families and your customers and their families. And you, you go through a complete morph yourself, don't you? I, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I firmly believe, and I, I, bet, I, I bet you would agree with this, that if you you've stopped learning, then you've already lost. And so for me, a, a learning is a daily occurrence. And I continue to learn more and more about the best ways to continue to lead a company and to help others grow and be successful. But I think that that one of the things that I, the conclusions that I came to being able to be authentic and being willing to be vulnerable and open and about my passion for what we do and being able to kind of let that be my guiding principle from a leadership perspective has been really impactful because then it, it, it that just that really flows into how much I care about other people and being willing to to show that to other people is a is a huge huge leadership trait that that's something that I kind of had to had to grow into and kind of evolve into and learn from. I think the old adage is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Isn't that true? Right. Yep, I I think it's one hundred percent true. Tell you what, let's do, Alex. Let's take a quick break right here, and when we come back, let's dive into the franchising side of this business and how four hundred plus locations have grown not just domestically but internationally as well. And in a competitive landscape that's filled with childhood education and childhood programs, that's a major accomplishment. And we want to hear more about how that happened and where it is you're heading on the way forward. We'll be right back to talk about all of that and more with Alex Bingham, CEO of The Little Gym. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects 
products. Simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zoracle's algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk, their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball. But there's no hoodoo here. It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today? Take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zoracle, spot-on assessments based on science, but delivering results that seems simply magical. Check them out at www.zoracleprofiles.com. So Alex, let's pick up on the franchise side of the business. Let's learn a little bit about how you've gotten to where you are and where it is you're heading. What kind of opportunities domestically, I guess let's start there first, are offered by the Little Gym? Are these single unit operators, multi-unit area developers? What's the landscape? Yeah, so really the majority of our franchisees start as single unit operators and because ultimately the model that we have offers uh, probably more upside than most single unit franchises out there. I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of different concepts that have a different model that, that requires kind of a higher number of units to really create some meaningful cash for franchisees. But I think that's, that's one thing that's kind of nice about our model. Uh, we do have probably about half of our franchisees ultimately grow into multi-unit operators. And we have franchisees, we have our, our largest franchisee domestically is about to open his eighth in the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area in January. And so we also have an area developer model that we are, that we're just rolling out and kind of getting familiar with and accustomed to. But I think we have the tools and the resources in place to help somebody be successful with that based a lot, largely on the experience of our franchisees that have kind of grown into it organically. Um, and also a lot of the expertise, obviously, that we've picked up from the franchising industry and just our experience in it as well. Um, the majority start as as single unit operators and kind of grow from there. And define area development as you mean it, because so many different people hear different things when we say sure. area development. No, that's a great question. Yeah, for us, for us, area development basically means the, the purchase of a geographic area, because for us, each gym resides within its own exclusive territory. So for us, it would be a larger geographical area that would have multiple territories associated with it. And, and it would be essentially an agreement that says you have this amount of geography to open this number of, of franchises within it. and But the design of it would be um, really as at least owners, if not direct operators of each of those facilities also. And then what about international side of the business and those, how many countries did you say? 32? Yeah, 33. We're in 33 other countries. And and if, if you ask me to name them, I could get close, but I couldn't quite get all the way there, Stan. And again, we probably don't have enough, quite enough time in the show for that. But that the, the vast majority of our international expansion is via master franchise agreements. So basically what we're doing is selling to, in most cases, a country, sometimes several countries, and, and selling the rights to an individual or group that is going to set up an organization that basically mirrors ours. So we have, as an example, the Little Gym of China, we have the Little Gym of Europe, we have the Little Gym of the Middle East and North Africa, to name just a few uh, of our master licensees. And they have, they do their own franchise development within their uh, geographical regions, and they also do their own service and support. So we're providing them service and support in providing service and support to their franchisees. And then back to the domestic side of life, as litigious as our world has become, as regulated as our governments have encumbered us with their mandates, what about operating businesses like yours? I would suppose childcare has some very, very stringent requirements around it from licensing, perhaps in some states, maybe not in others. But how do you work through all of that maze of regulation that encumbers yeah. us? Fortunately for our model, 
model because it's really not care based. It really is classes um, where places where kids come for classes generally once a week for 45 minutes or an hour at a time. Um, that's the majority of our business. And so there are definitely places even still that require some different licensing and regulation, but we're able to stay away from a lot of the daycare licensing and those sorts of things in most cases. But it, it, at the same time, because you're involved, you're, you have kids of such a broad range of ages at different times in our facility, not at the same time, but at different times in our facility and the equipment that's involved, the skills that we're, that we're helping kids learn, the safety is always a primary concern. And so that's, that's ultimately our, our biggest thing is just about creating safety. And that comes back again to the focus on curriculum and training and making sure that our franchisees and their team members are really, really hyper-focused on that as our number one priority is really about number one, helping kids be safe and number two, making sure that they have fun. And then, and then growing skills on top of that is really gravy that comes with coming to the little gymnasium way but but that's that those those are the two first two non-negotiables what's your take on brokerage do you guys participate in the brokerage networks or do you work direct Fun, funny you should ask that actually we are just getting started in brokerage we, so we are we just got our kickoff call this morning with uh, a fairly recent other guest of yours with red from ifpg and really for us we've had success through traditional kind of organic methods and that's really what we've relied on over time. But as we've looked to really accelerate this, we're recognizing that, at least from our perspective, we need to be willing to get outside of what our traditional methods have been to drive the number of leads that we need in order to grow. And so for us, um, brokerage and lead generators and things like that are a path that we're, that we're starting to head down with the hopes that it can really help us accelerate our growth uh, domestically. And with all due respect to Red and the others in the brokerage community, I noted in my research that rather than just giving 50% of initial franchise fees to the Reds of the world, you're also very pro-veteran. So I'm yes. excited to see that you're VetFran related. Talk a, a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, to us, it's, I think, when we, when we talk about helping the children of the world and, and, and helping the world be a better place and be more successful, there's no better place to look than, than obviously the veterans and other, and people that are helping our world be a better place today. And so for us, um, it, it just aligns so well with our values to be able to offer an opportunity to, to veterans. Um, and I think that in general, and this, we're certainly not the first ones to say this, but I think we certainly see it as well that, that a background in military dovetails so well with franchising the ability to follow processes and systems and um, a willingness to be part of something bigger and those sorts of things. And so um, we have several franchisees that have military ties and background that have had a, had a good deal of success with us. And so we're excited to continue to help that grow and be successful for them and, and for our brand. And then for those who are interested in the little gym, talk about the footprint that you guys have to, to build out. And is it in line in the strip? There's no real estate involved. I'm looking at just the initial costs would indicate to me yeah. that that's probably the case. Yeah, typically you're looking at leasing a space that's somewhere in the neighborhood of 32 to 3,500 square feet, give or take opportunities to get a little bigger, a little bit smaller than that if needed. But generally you're looking at, at yeah, kind of a strip mall sort of association. We have some that are in, in bigger malls. We have some that are in kind of more light industrial areas, but the, the bulk of the bell curve for us is going to be generally kind of strip mall sort of or out parcel sort of facilities. And and you're you're not looking at it ton of build out, but it also obviously depends on what was in there before and that sort of thing. But you're looking at the need to put up a few walls and create some different rooms and have a couple bathrooms for parents and kids and stuff like that. And then really also, you know, make sure that, that there's there's equipment and that sort of thing that's involved in, in the process. Are there any parts of the country that you're particularly focusing on or are you wide open in all 50 states with opportunities virtually anywhere? Well, we've got, we've got, there are certainly some markets that are more uh, built out than others and and some that are more available. I think for us, 
there are there are a few markets that we'd really like to see continue to grow and develop that that we have some really really strong opportunities in. Um, Nashville would be one of them. Milwaukee would be another. Richmond, Virginia would be another. Um, San Diego as an area, we have we have some really good opportunities in those sorts of areas. Kansas City, we've just awarded our our second territory in in Kansas City, and expect that that one's going to continue to grow. That that market's going to continue to grow pretty quickly. And then we have there are a few markets that probably don't have any availability, but very few um, ultimately out there that have no availability whatsoever. Well, you know, there's um, as a listener to the podcast, you know that I come to a spot which is almost right about now, where every week I ask my guests if there's anything that I should have asked them and I didn't that they wished that I might have done. What would that be for you? No, you know what? Honestly, for, for me, I just I, the the only thing that that I really enjoy talking about that I that I got to touch on earlier, but that I think is what I'm most proud of for us as a company is. Uh, the passion that each member of our team here has, and kind of when you t- talk about our secret to success as a company um, and how we've gotten to where we've gotten to today, it is really largely by passion for what we do and, and making sure that that passion and the effort that comes with it can really overcome any any other issues you encounter along the way. And so hopefully it's easy for you and listeners to hear my passion for it. But what I'm most proud of is the passion that every team member that we have here at the Little German International and, and, and ultimately what our franchisees and their team members have as well. It's, it's the bond that we are able to have together. And that's that to me is the greatest differentiating factor for us as a franchise. I believe with all my heart that second to money, the most important ingredient that a prospective franchising has to bring with them is passion. Yeah. And I think it starts with leadership at the top of the organization and it flows through the organization's support team and then down to the unit level where franchisees deliver the same. Passion to me is something you can't fake and it's not something that any amount of money will buy. Yet to me in the competitive landscape like the one that you compete in every day, I really believe it's got to have a lot to do with why 400 North is just the tip of the iceberg and you're going to continue to grow because it's, it is what people look for. It's that attitude, belief, and commitment. And you bring plenty of all of that, Alex. Can't thank you enough for bringing some of it to the audience here today and sharing it out with us. Before we let you go, how does the audience find you if they'd like to converse with you or Ron Cordova or anybody on your team? Yeah, the, the best thing you do that you can you can find our website is uh, www.thelittlegym.com. Also, if you're looking at franchise opportunities, it's www.thelittlegymfranchise.com. And our, our phone number is 888-228-2878. And uh, as, as I say, operators are standing by, Stan. <laughs> well, Alex, continued success. And I can't thank you enough for carving out some time and spending some time with us here on Franchise Today. Dan, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thank you, Alex. Well, that about does it for this week. Please remember to subscribe to Franchise Today at Block Talk Radio and that you can download us from iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, virtually any place where podcasts are found. Remember, too, you can ask Alexa to play the latest episode of Franchise Today. And remember, too, to like us on Facebook. Please let me hear from you with any recommendations for guest interviews as well as your thoughts or comments that you'd like to share about future podcasts. You can find all of my contact info on my LinkedIn profile, and I'll be happy to hear from you whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Until next week, I'm Stan Friedman, wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. 
Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.